0: after dinner conversations episode 94 i'm excited to be back we got the usual cast back here on the couch we got corey we got steven i'm here mike and we got a special guest today one of my brothers tim hurd Uh, he's joining us today on the podcast tim how you doing bro
1: i'm good thanks for having me on i appreciate you fellas
0: no definitely no doubt no doubt no doubt so today i'm gonna start we're gonna start off with asking tim some questions similar to a uh segment we did In one of our previous episodes with Laura, when she had her on, she was a wonderful guest as well. And then we're gonna get into our usual segments of cocktail hour topic, table talk, plug and plug and pass the aux. Now to start off, Tim, I definitely wanna just let you give you space to introduce yourself, you know, state your background, you know, and just talk about like, you know, from your background, like what led you to this path towards your PhD journey?
1: Absolutely. Um, So again, yeah, my name is Tim. I'm from Detroit, Michigan um yeah so I am currently living in Los Angeles I guess a little bit about my background path so or what led me to like pursuing my PhD so I went to Michigan State for undergrad um and it was there I got really involved in mentorship and I got involved in research and in particular I got involved because my freshman year um, I lived in a quad so there were four of us and my three roommates were black men and they left two for academic reasons, one for a social reason in terms of not feeling a sense of belonging, uh, especially because a lot of people, so like I'm from Detroit, but I moved to this white suburb called Girls Point in the fifth grade. So I had like a culture shock and stuff very early. And um, when my roommates came, a lot of them were still like in Detroit. So it went from like majority black to majority white. Um, And that can be a lot. That can be overwhelming for anybody just transitioning from one place where it's, a dominant race uh, or ethnicity and you transition to another place and it's not the same. Um, so for me I got into research because they were like research says this research says that and I was like well I want to see the, why the research had my friends you know leave the institution or whatever because those were like my guys my boys and they were also black men. Um, so I got into some research and uh, my first research project with that was that summer and it was understanding students of color expectations as they transition to a predominantly institute And from there, I really kind of fell in love with um, this idea of research and whatnot. And I got more into it. I got more into mentorship. The people I interviewed for that thing ended up becoming my mentees. There were 12 of them. And my junior year, I started my mentoring organization. Um, It's called Rising Black Men for Black Men. And there's a pipeline of support from Michigan State to the great Atlantic community. Um, It's still running right now. Um, But it was like my little baby, Uh, my little project and stuff. And I put a lot of time and energy into it. But it really paid off in terms of just you know, creating a positive space on campus for Black men to come together and, you know, be vulnerable, have conversation, um, support one another, uplift one another. And I really just took that energy. Um, I went to Penn uh, for my master's in Philly, but it was virtual. So I didn't get a chance to, you know, move there. Um, So I was still at home, uh, helping out my parents and whatnot, and uh, just living back at home, which was the first time I've been really back at home for so long in four and a half years. Um, And then after that, I finished that in uh, May of 20, I started that in May of 2020, finished in May of 2021, and then I started my PhD here at UCLA in September of 2021 last year, um, and I've been here since, uh, and, and it's been phenomenal. So now, yeah, getting the PhD in higher education and organizational change, and um, I just finished my first year, so I hopefully I got three more years, finger crossed, that's how long my fellowship is, so that's how long I'm planning on doing, and after that, you know, seeing where that, you know, seeing where God takes me.
0: Yes, sir. Amen to all of that. And so, I wanted you to build on build on a little bit on how your um, your experiences from your undergrad and how you got to mentorship. Like, how did that enhance your commitment to public service and more larger scale organizing that you've been a part of? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I think it enhanced it um, because I think for me, um, I realized I was doing something that was bigger for my bigger than myself. And I and I got back so much just by putting out you know love and and good vibes and good energy and it became something I became addicted to because I felt like for me, I was an athlete growing up. So it was really like working on working in the gym and, you know, like investing in yourself. And of course, like I was the point guard. So I have to know everybody's strengths and whatnot and weaknesses on the court and who I should pass to, different things like that, how to motivate different people. So I feel like I've always been a person who, um, would identify as like a leader in some capacity of meeting people where they're at and trying to uplift everybody's game while uplifting my own but this was a different act of service I would say and for me it was something I kind of latched on to because I didn't really have those experiences growing up because for the most part it was just academics and athletics um, until I got to college and I think one of the cool things about just getting into the mentorship field was just how many people actually needed it and how many people cared um, and just the people who kind of came out from the woodworks um, my whole thing is it takes a village so it was very much so this ubuntu i am because we are type of vibe and you know it's continued to um, rise as i continue to you know invest in port more into the community that's for
0: sure bro uh, so I've heard you mention master's, you mentioned PhDs, top universities across the countries, You got mentorship, you, you, know, you stay in shape. Like, you know, I just want to know, like, you know, I mean, actually before we started, like, you know, how do you, like, you know, you've always been a very uplifting and joyous person since I met you. You know, I remember we went to the Black and Brown social at the uh, conference and you was getting down in the middle of the floor. I was like, oh, was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> brother, can you really You get down with the dance moves, man. Don't let them fool you. Um, but how do you maintain your uh, constant positivity as you go through, like, so much, like, in life?
1: Yeah, thanks. Um, Life's gotten easier, like progressively easier for me. I don't know. Um, I think for me, um, biggest thing is just relationship with God. Honestly, like building a relationship with God. I'm a preacher's kid. So like I grew up in a church, but I never had a relationship with God personally until I would say I got to college. And, you know, when I got to college and I was able to get away from my parents and just kind of get out on my own a little bit, quote unquote, like just building that relationship with God was really helpful for me. Um, and then like journaling, you know, I, I started journaling maybe my junior year of undergrad, getting into journaling, um, just doing prayer. So I would say those are like the biggest things. Cause it was just some stuff that was unexplainable. I feel like I had a lot of shifts and like pivots within my heart. Um, because I was just really like, I was like upset. I was hurt. I was like angry a lot. Um, and especially moving from Detroit to like girls point, which is where I, you know, my family currently lives is this white suburb because I felt like I was in that space, space, I was always tolerated and never accepted. So I never felt the sense of belonging and community. And I yearned for that. I was like, man, this is a place where they tolerate me because I'm one of the best athletes in the state. And I'm a really good student, but I don't feel accepted here. I'm I'm always tokenized. And I think for me, going to Michigan State was an opportunity for me to be around Black people again, You know, feel that love, and also be reminded that like, You know, people are gonna be people, um, regardless of race and people gonna have their own agendas and whatever, but it just felt good connecting with other black people and and being in that space. So I would say that would be like the biggest thing is connecting with people, finding that village and um just my relationship with God that keeps me going on a day to day basis. Um and yeah, that's I think that's really all it is.
2: Did you start journaling on your own, or was it like somebody kind of you know how a lot of times when it's Thinking about creating a connection, guys. You know, you're saying your pastor's son. Sometimes it's the pastor, sometimes it's like your mom, sometimes it's somebody who kind of walks you to the path where you like grow your connection. Yeah. Or Did you do that on your own, or was it like somebody helped you guide you spiritually?
1: Yeah. So actually, I I started journaling, man, because I was sad, like I was heartbroken. I just got a relationship with this woman, and I was like, dang, like you know what I mean? I thought I was gonna get married and all that. And one of my mentors, who's an older lady, she was like, "Yo, you need to journal." She was like, "You never got closure from your relationship," and I was like. Really? Because the way it ended was just like crazy. I didn't expect it to end that way. But, you know, everything happens for a reason. I'm not stressed over it anymore. And I was just like, all right, well, let me go ahead and journal. And I journaled and I was like, dang, this felt good. to Get off my chest. And now like almost 2000 journal entries in later, I'm like, I'm still doing it, you know, every day. Um, And it's been enjoyable for me. So. I think it's just one of those things where I'm able to really focus on emotional intelligence and like articulate my emotions and be really introspective. And I think that allows me to maintain my energy um, and, and do, uh, somebody said like shadow work and stuff, but like do the work that you might not see um, that's not visible. And for me, doing that work has been, you know, incredible um, and, and allow me to, I feel like not just survive, but thrive in all the places and really know and be comfortable and confident in myself so I can enter spaces and you know, fully be me without worrying about anything else because I have that confidence because I, I put that time in for, within myself, so. All yeah. right, oh,
0: yeah. okay, no, that's interesting, that's interesting. You want to say something, Mike? Yeah, and the uh, next question I going to uh, transition to. Um, now I just, you mentioned journaling, you know, you mentioned staying. You know, going on your runs and um, I just want to know if there's any other hobbies that keep you going outside of your professional academic life?
1: yeah just just dancing you know like dancing all the time like I love dancing running is a huge thing for me I'm gonna run after this actually um and I've I've really gotten into cooking lately like I think for me I used to make like uh hot dogs and like pork and beans and stuff like that and like just like real simple meals and like that's what I was surviving off of for like years and now I'm like you know I'm 25 now like it's time to expand my palate it's time to like really you know learn some of these ingredients and stuff so like I'll invite some of my friends over and we'll cook together, you know what I mean? And like, for the most part, like, they know what they're doing. So I'll just sit, take notes. I'll also assist, you know, how I can or whatever. And yeah, I've been making some meals. So like, I'm proud of myself for that. I know I'm going to continue to build that out. Appreciate you, my brother. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to continue to build that out and just, you know, see where that goes. Because I'm in a space of like, you know, just trying to be, um, I'm always, I'm a like, junkie for growth in a way. Like, I'm always striving to, to improve in some some way. And for me right now, it's like, all right, let's do the cooking tip on top of other things. And I think it just makes life more enjoyable. I always feel I always feel fulfilled. I feel satisfied. So um this is the 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 last thing to like, you know, satisfy me in that way of like, oh, I feel good. This is cool
3: and I can build on this. So that's dope. That's dope. You want to write podcasts? Mike and Steven ain't tell you they used to run a five-star restaurant basically when we was at Oh, <laughs> dude. I was gonna say Corey was running his whole kitchen
2: with Umbrella with AB. I was about to tell you, Corey could put you on some YouTube channels. He's trying to oh yeah, I'll definitely
3: put you on, I'll definitely send you some YouTube channels that have helped me a lot in um, hey, the cooking journey.
1: Okay, for sure. I appreciate that.
0: What's the best meal you learned how to make so far?
1: Oh man, um my last three meals have been really good. Oh my goodness! Okay, I'll probably say like I made these um these shrimp like this fried Cajun shrimp, um and like the mix I got it from Trader Joe's it was delicious it was, like Louisiana or something mixed, uh red beans and rice with hot sausage, uh cornbread and some mixed medley greens it was really good. Uh, if you, look, if you, if you get cornbread down and you good, you good in my book, yeah. cornbread, he, he corn cornbread whole is
2: dinner now. like <laughs> be and beans, bro. It's not no Franks and
1: beans, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? We're trying to, we trying to elevate. We're trying to upgrade a little bit.
0: <laughs> that's what they eat in Detroit, bro? Like, that's the type yeah. of, like, cuisine that you have out there?
1: Uh, And, yeah, they eat a lot of, a lot of, like, fish, catfish and spaghetti, though. Catfish, spaghetti.
0: I ain't never had that. Hey, catfish and about. spaghetti separately?
1: No, yeah. like, well, like, the catfish is, like, on the side of the plate, but it's on the same plate of the spaghetti, yeah. Interesting. I ain't never seen that
2: before.
3: Yeah. You, you I'm sure you're going to see it while you're while you in Kentucky, Stephen. I'm
0: sure you're going to see it.
2: I've seen a lot of catfish. I ain't see a lot of spaghetti.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, man. But, you know, thank you for your, your insightful and thoughtful answers, uh, Tim. Yep. You know, uh, definitely great to hear about your background, what you're into, you're like, you know, what keeps you motivated. Um, just thank you for sharing all, like you know, all your the ways you've uh, changed and your growth. A lot. I know not a lot of people be comfortable, like you know, admitting that they had, you know, short sighted parts of themselves or like you know, uh, pitfalls or whichever. Um, and you're you being able to acknowledge that and then move forward from it is very powerful, bro. Oh, very powerful. Sure.
1: No, I appreciate that. Thanks for those affirmation.
0: No problem at all. Uh, so now we're going to go into our cocktail hour. You know, as always, the audience knows we're gonna hit some uh, quick news points. You know, I try to find the biggest ones. So we're gonna start off with our. Uh, Stephen's favorite former president. Uh, <laughs> I'm joking. This uh, Donald Trump. Uh, so he has Florida, his Mar-a-Lago. Uh, what is it? It's country Club. Uh, he had the Country Club raided by the FBI. Uh, so that's related to him when he left his presidency. He actually took highly classified documents to Mar-a-Lago, which is something you're not supposed to do. Um, and so now they've been investigating. Um, just investigating. Like I think it became a felony. 2018, when actually Trump signed into law. Um so just your reactions and thoughts on that. Cause this is like for at least for American history, this is um there's never been this level of a criminal investigation towards a former president before. Um so this is definitely becoming more of a um I can't even say unprecedented in the last like six, five, six, seven years has been unprecedented in the United States politically, but you know, it's just definitely another chapter to this. <laughs> so I just want to know what your thoughts are, just like you know, just quick reactions to it, what what it was.
3: Um I definitely think it's a I mean, I'm not surprised. I think, like Mike said, right, classified documents shouldn't shouldn't be in the wrong hands, shouldn't be outside of certain places of protection. Um, I think in the past, you know, decade or so, just data and protection of data and classified documents has been a conversation that's been at an all-time high, both, you know, uh, politically um, as well as just uh, publicly and socially, you know, how do we protect information? And so I'm, I'm interested to see, you know, I'm sure, you know, this is not going to be, this is probably the first of many in terms of getting back, you know, information and protecting information, or at least, you know, not the only one. So I'm not, I'm not really surprised at what happened.
2: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not too surprised either, to be honest, uh, just because of the ramrocious actions you have done over the last, I think, so we're at six years at this point, right? We, we really had him as a politician slash president for the last six years. So I'm not surprised. Um at what, why that happened, that he had those documents, also not surprised at the political outrage from congressional Republicans on now calling the FBI corrupt, and we need to get rid of the FBI, you know, they're the, the progressives or something have infiltrated, like this whole, it's it's almost like a, it's like a reoccurring fact, every time a, like a, a party doesn't like what like another branch of like the federal government, not only a but another, another component of the government does, it's like throw them away, this, that, and the third. It's like, y'all are the people who have the power and responsibility to hold these places accountable. And yet, you're the first ones complaining when they don't do something you like. It's it's always very interesting. But, you know, Trump has walked himself into a hole that he only digs deeper. And unfortunately, though, you know, he still is afloat because there are a lot of of people People don't talk about this, a lot of people who still support him as a, a presidential candidate, as a person, as a politician. Um, and so, don't be surprised if he's not arrested by 2020, 2024, I think you don't be surprised if you see a, a bit in the election. So uh, it's gonna be a lot
0: historically. I actually think they're trying to race, not really race, but like I think that there's a, like a little bit of um, urgency to before that. They only got like one more year, yeah. Because twenty twenty three, like after like July is when people start announcing the government for presidency. Is he's able to make that announcement? It's gonna be it's gonna be very chaotic, <laughs> like you know, and because every investigation after that is gonna be very like you know politically centered and just that matter. So it could be a lot. It could be a lot. And then we, we to come back to it. <laughs> I I don't know what to say about that. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. All right. So our next topic, the Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club is as Angela. Injury- Angela Yee, excuse me, tweeted out yesterday, she will be leaving The Breakfast Club to start her own, I think her own on-air show, Uh, and I think she's joining, oh, not she, The Breakfast Club is joining a list of shows that are splitting up and canceling, such as the Joe Bundan podcast, uh, Desus Mero, um, just a whole bunch of shows that's been on for like the past like decade that we kind of become accustomed to. Um, Just want to know what y'all think about this trend, you think this like, you know, all do these shows just have like, Timeline, you know, just time what's up, you know, we guys got stale, like, you know, people always want to get got the itch and try new things. You know, just what are your thoughts on these like these established shows who like make a lot of money have cultural hits, but you know, they still end up falling out and then either way, Corey. That's your go.
3: Why is that my go? <laughs> girl, yeah, I, was I was literally girl. waiting for I was literally waiting for Steven's remarks. Um <laughs> No, I mean, I think I think it's it's definitely interesting. You know, I think back to, to shows like 106 in Park, that was probably, you know, the first for for our generation to to see, or our, you know, generation, so to speak, in terms of late 90s, uh babies to see, you know, the different hosts and then ultimately the cancel cancellation of that show. To the Breakfast Club, you know, now splitting. I think that's been, you know, especially for folks that live in uh Power 105 markets, you know, that could hear that show pretty consistently. That's been a, a huge thing to wake up to every morning, you know, on the way to school, all that type of stuff. Um, it's it's been a powerhouse in the culture. But I mean, I think like like Mike said, I think there's so many different platforms, right? We talk, you know, 10 even five years ago, right, podcasting wasn't what it was today, you know, the ease of access to be on a show, right, we have things like Revolt TV, you know, Netflix is, is doing specials with folks and things like that, and all these other streaming platforms, so the media industry as a whole is completely changed, right, radio looks a lot different, um, all that stuff looks a lot different, you know, now it's more about clips and segments, and it is about, you know, 50-minute interviews or an hour-long interviews, right, so we're seeing just a different a different time, so I'm not surprised things are changing, Um, I do, you know, I still like the, you know, multi-person format of shows, right? Like the, you know, three solid interviewees, you know, type of thing, as opposed to a dude and sidekicks or, you know, a big host and a sidekick. I, I like the Three people being able to bring different mindsets, different perspectives, ask different questions of people, because I think that's how you get the most out of the conversation. Right. I mean, at some point, if you have one person, you could pretty much anticipate what the conversation is going to be because, you know, that's the only perspective that you're getting. So I hope that as people transition off and start their own things, it becomes something where it's similar to the breakfast club in concept right it's not you know the Joe Budden podcast where yes he has co-hosts but it's the Joe Budden podcast you know for lack of a better term and so I hope that we can we can keep formats of it as as we change media platforms but I'm not surprised because I think media is changing the game is changing you know so to speak and, and I'm not surprised that people want to go out on their own and start their own things.
0: Yeah, you have a good audience, and it's not that hard to get your get your platform going. You know, she already has. um or Angel Lee, she she already has like uh, well, people she's well known. I should say, she because she's industry, already she's already had like lip lip service industry. for a while.
3: Yeah, lip service exactly, for exactly. a while as
0: well. Sometimes better off doing your own thing. You know. Sometimes it is. You have any any thoughts on this too? or just keep pushing?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I thought um, I don't know why I thought this was just for y'all fellas, but yeah. No, no, I, no, I, no. I no, like, no. Like, okay, no doubt. Um, yeah, I feel like so everything runs its course. Um, so I feel like with the Breakfast Club, they had a really good run over ten years. A uh, minute, I remember the first one I think I heard was like with Ray J when he was wilding out like way back in the day because uh, I think he really helped save them uh, at some point um, mm-hmm. in terms of mute or views and, and whatnot. But yeah, I think everything runs its course. I think people are continue to get to the back. Like, I just want to appreciate what it was and, and, and what they did. Um, I think they did a lot. Uh, but, like, I guess you could see in, um, I think this is with any, like, group when they're successful, like, them starting to go their own ways. I'm thinking about, like, New Edition or something like that and how they went on. Um, they made Bell Bib be Devoe and, like, Bobby had his own solo act and they all did almost at one point. So, yeah, I see, like, Charlamagne, like, doing the one-on-one interviews. He did something like Gucci Mane that was really good and a couple other people. And then like DJ Envy does a whole bunch of other stuff, um, the cars and whatnot, investment and real estate. So does like Angela Yee. So I, I, at some point I saw them like possibly splitting and doing their own thing, but yeah, I just appreciate
0: um, what they did during that time. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, my thought should explain it better. I explained it better. Now this is an open conversation, bro. You, oh yeah, no doubt. You know, no, get you your did. thoughts in, get them thoughts out. Uh, you know, we just go with the flow here, it's very casual. Um, before I'm like, damn, maybe I shouldn't pick the politics question. Maybe you wasn't trying to you wasn't trying to touch on that before. Oh no, no, you
1: move. Um, I had stuff to say, but you good.
0: You good. <laughs> that's all good. Um so getting into our main topic today. Today we we're talking about the modern black leader. Uh, why did I pick this topic? Because we have a group of black leaders right here. We're very modern, we're young, you know, we're aspiring, uh, we're early career, but you know, we definitely have our higher, higher plateaus and mountaintops that we want to reach uh, in terms of our own industries. And so I definitely just want to have like a discussion that's um not too in-depth, but just more so like, you know, as our experience so far in life, like, you know, all these knows our background, these heard Tim's uh, thorough background. Like, you know, just want to have just kind of just meta conversation and like, you know, what, as in today, this moment through all the life, not life, but all the societal issues that we've been through so far, like, you know, I feel like sometimes, you know, often take time to stop, reflect and be like, okay, like has leadership changed, has, you know, has being a black leader changed because society has changed so much around us. So uh, I definitely have a few questions for you brothers that I want to get into. Uh, to start off though, I think for audience and just for us too, you know, I always like to define things ahead of time. Uh, so I just want to know just in your own words, like, you know, how would you define leadership? In that small, as long as possible, you know, whatever, whatever you want to put out there. I think I think for me
2: personally, it's funny because I'm, I'm in a leadership core right now and you know, um where with my job and one of the things there's I read a paper I think published by Harvard Business and it's losing me right now. I hate when I start blanking when serious topics start coming sometimes. But one of the key qualities they had on that paper was strategic thinking right there was something every great C like C suite officer and leader needed was some level of strategic thing. Be able to think long term understand why they're thinking a the way to do why they're trying to push things in that direction i think it's very important for a leader to have vision um you you're essentially guiding folks into a direction you're guiding kids you're guiding people just about all types of people and personally i feel when a leader lacks vision they will the ability to truly you know push people to become better of themselves or improve the lives of others i think it's very very crucial i think the other thing which y'all know the a big part of auditorial skills i think a leader needs to be able to talk to individuals they need to be able to either stand in front of a mic of a thousand people or sit down with two people and still have that same level of influence like they should be able to convey their message you know good outside so to work concise a lot of the time but also just a way for folks to understand so those are, i think the, the two qualities that usually come to mind i think it helps a lot in terms of building other qualities when it comes to leadership
0: mm-hmm. I like
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, when I think about leadership, uh kind of going off of Stephen, what you said, I think leaders are able to like adapt to their environment, but also not lose the impact or power of their delivery or what they're trying to um trying to discuss or get through or pass. And I also think they can like accommodate. So um I feel like a, a real leader like puts their pride aside and knows that. Um, they're trying to equip the and trying to equip whoever they're leading or whatever with the tools so that they can my whole thing like with the mentorship organizations like succession plan with succession plan like your leadership is only as good as the people who like follow you and what they do moving forward so like if you're like out the picture and you know the stuff is not still moving um there's still no upward mobility whatever movement you might have been leading or assisting with then kind of goes to show like you know how much time did you spend really investing in the people that's kind of how i look at it so if the people are able to be self-sufficient and are able to you know have um and you help people equip skills that they might not otherwise have to have that self-sufficiency that's what i see is like a leader because in a way i feel like everybody is a leader but i feel like it takes certain people who have done more work more personal work and whatnot to like invest that in other people to help them reach that certain level so that they can do it with other people so that you can have more self-sufficient individuals um, who can still come together as a collective because I'm very much so on the interdependent and not individual type um, tip, so, yeah, you know.
3: Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah no, I think, yeah. I think I all made good points. I think the only thing I would add is probably, you know, that inspiration piece, right? The ability to inspire and motivate the group that is following you. Um, I think, you know, Tim made a good point about everybody sort of leading in their own capacity, but being able to foster that teamwork element, right, where there is a collective goal, as Steven mentioned, that strategic planning, right? So you're be able to inspire individuals to work together to ultimately come together for that, that long-term planning, or whether it's short-term or long-term planning, you're able to inspire that.
0: Yeah, man, those all great answers. Um, One thing I would add um, definitely like the selflessness theme that you all talked about or part of all three of your answers, um, for sure. Um, I also think the capacity to be courageous or rise to the moment too. Uh, cause one of my favorite quotes is like, you know, if you want to see how an organization really runs in the dark, you have to see what they're like during the like, chaos. Like, you know, like when, when things are at their worst, when, you know, like when shit hits the fan, like, you know, when, you know, cars are down, like, you know, the people are panicking like deadlines are coming up. You know, and like, you know, a lot of people are depending on you, like, you know, are you really going to say, like, I'm going to step forward and be able, I can handle this. I'm going to remain calm. Like, you know, I'm going to make sure I put my best resources, skills, intellect, whatever, whatever resource I have uh, to solve the issue or problem at hand. I think that's just something that's so critical, too, because there's some leaders, man, shit going down, you can't find them, (laughs) like you know. And that's tough, man. It hurts a lot of people sometimes. Some people want to be a leader for the resume. They want to be a leader uh, just to say the nice things and get the little uh, like social capital from it. Like, you know, but when reality happens, which it will happen, like, you know, and mismanagement is there, it can, it can harm a lot of people for sure. Um, and so, and that kind of goes into my, like, a question. So my next question is something I kind of think about because I'm really into philosophy, identity and stuff like that. Um, and I was just curious, like, you know, do y'all believe that leadership is like a constant identity and action? like? I started off this segment saying like, we're all leaders. So I'm saying that like, this is a part of who we are. Or do you believe it's something like, oh, I only need to be a leader when I'm around my family. I only need to be a leader, you know, when I'm at work or I'm at school, uh, or I'm in my, you know, working with my community. But if I'm at, you know, I'm at the movie theater, I'm at somewhere more uh, more casual, casual venue at the park, you know, if things go down, I don't have to step in because that's not where my leadership skills apply. Do you think it's one or the other, or is it both? Like, you know, I'm just curious. I'm like, where y'all think? Like our, our leadership identity really is it really ingrained in who we are or like you know something that we learn how to like um weaponize so weaponize is kind of a, a negative word uh but learn how to utilize as a um as like as a social personality
2: yeah i think um and i think we get sometimes people get caught up in the root of leadership with the lead right as if it's a So i think leadership is not something that switches on or off. I think it just exists. Um, and, and from what I've seen, people who I think I view as leaders or people who view others as leaders, whether they're leading individuals actively or not, they still have the qualities of a leader. I think it represents things within their personality, whether it's their ability to listen, whether it's ability to take initiative and make decisions, or even it's the fact that they're willing to lend a hand and make themselves part of a team. Like you. Those are all encompassing of a leader. And I think the best leaders very cliche but they know when to follow or the best leaders start off as a great followers and I think we we see that in our leaders no matter what they do so I wouldn't necessarily say it's a switch that goes on but I think it's the ability to maximize your leadership depending on the environment you're in
3: yeah I mean I think there's there's a lot of words um that we use casually in conversation that becomes synonymous, right? I think, you know, a lot of times we connect leadership with self-sufficiency. We create, we connect uh, leadership with independence and being able to make decisions on your own and and conscious thinking and all these other things. And I think a lot of times, you know, if you delve deeper into it, you could start separating those terms, right? Being self-sufficient and the ability to make wise decisions doesn't necessarily, constitute being a leader in that moment, hey, you're just, you know, able to recognize right from wrong. I think when people look to that decision making for guidance, I think that's when it becomes leadership sometimes, right. So I think a lot of times we're, you know, so caught up in, oh, you have to be a leader rather than a follower. It's like, well, yes, but I think sometimes you making that right decision you know, isn't necessarily saying, hey, you're exercising your leadership ability. It's saying you're exercising your wisdom, your knowledge to be self-sufficient, to be independent, to make to, to make your own decisions. I think, you know, when, you know, you have a family, right, that's when it becomes leadership because your kids are watching that decision. Your significant other is watching that decision. Uh, you know, when Tim leads his organization and his mentees, right, that's when it becomes leadership because they're watching. And I think for a lot of us, it be those decisions that we make that independence that self-sufficiency automatically becomes leadership because even without us knowing there are a lot of people probably watching the four of us on this call right now whether it's mentees whether it's friends from high school whether it's peers whether it's you know our little cousins or little nephews and i think that's when it be, sort of becomes leadership by default but i think there is a lot that does fit under that leadership umbrella that are qualities that can be looked at separate that ultimately you know fit in there some type of way because a lot of us do have eyes especially we look at you know social media and things like that those things that we always talk about
1: I think for me as I kind of get older one of the things in terms of leadership that pops up is like I always think like a leader needs to like always speak and like always assert themselves and you know always like when it got quiet and stuff like that to be like the first person to have a response and I think for me that's kind of something that was like embedded in me especially in undergrads 50,000 people you're trying to find your way you're trying to you know like find your lane and, and what that might look like so it's like dang how do I like show somebody else up or how do I like uh you know compete with them to be the best and show that you know I got it and stuff and for me like that was one of the things that I used to kind of help drive me like I want to be better than this person I want to be better than that person but I think at a certain point maybe like my sophomore year or like going into my sophomore year I was like you know what, I. I want to be the best Tim that I can be because my parents always I don't care about this other person. I don't care what this person is doing, what that person is doing. I want you to make sure that you can be the best person you can be. And I think being introspective in that regard allowed me to realize, like, yo, I don't always have to speak up and, you know, say the most enlightening things and stuff. I was putting too much pressure on myself. I feel like I feel like new leadership should come naturally, but leadership comes through, I think, observation. Hence, like following, seeing what other people are doing, seeing some of the styles of like, oh, I like this piece of them. I like what they're doing. I like what this other person is doing. And then taking a little bit of this, taking a little bit of that and then applying it to yourself in a way that adapts. And it's it's not uncomfortable for you in a way that you're like, oh, I can I feel myself stepping up in that way. I feel like there's different, you know, different types of leadership Um, and you can you can be a leader and not be, you know, the loudest person in the room who's always, like, asserting themselves, but you can be a leader, like, you know what, when it times to, like, do the budgets or something, like, I'm looking over the budget, so I'm reaching out to the folks, and I'm connecting that way, like, those, there's different, you know, types and different forms of leadership, so I feel like everybody can be a leader um, in a certain regard, but I also feel like it's something that um, you just develop over time, engaging in different experiences and putting yourself, and, yeah, putting yourself in different experiences, so.
0: Man, that's not a little I like all three of my answers. Um definitely giving me uh, more to reflect on and think about too, um because I'm definitely in between it. I felt like um i always felt like leadership, well, when I project on like what ideal leadership like should look like it should be. um, I always felt like it should be like more of like an ethical set of principles that you follow too. um something that you kind of adhere to regardless of circumstance. And I've been trying to like not be so rigorous in like thinking like that because um, like i've been putting that pressure on myself too like no matter where i'm at like if i see something i need to like say something if i you know if something's wrong or I perceive like some type of you know injustice or something like you know I should be someone that at least not you don't have to the i have to need the help like train but I should be someone that contributes something to that because i believe in like you know I believe um uh, my own personal like ways of people how people should be um not suffering as much and so on and so forth um but I'm still like i'm just so back and forth on like you know, is this like who I am? Is this something Is this is this something that I'm trying to be? Or like you know, is this something that I have to create? Is something I have to keep refining? Uh, is this skill set? Is it like a, a part of my identity? Um, it's just interesting, uh, but I think it's something that I definitely incorporated into myself as I got older. A lot of experiences in um, colleges have helped me, and, and also um, some things around Austin that I do too. Um, but it has helped me a lot with. Um, pushing forward the idea that like you know, sometimes you just have to be there. Sometimes you just have to be present. And then that's sometimes all you need to be is to show up, contribute, you know, volunteer, do the small work, just as much as you want to do, like the heavy work down the line, and make all the decisions and stuff like that too. Um, no, but thank you all for sure, because like yeah, now I got more more ways to figure out my own identity problems <laughs> from leadership. But y'all touched on uh, pressures, pressures. I, don't, I think a couple of y'all mentioned pressures too. So I just want to ask like as you know, we're young, we're like, you know, 24, 25, 26. No, 25, 26. And like, you know, we we are in our own leadership roles within our own like organization. You know, we do a lot of work, all, all four of us. We do all we all do a lot of things all the time um and so i just want to know like you know how do y'all handle those pressures of being a leader um because we know leadership is lonely and you know sometimes it can ask a lot out of you uh, emotionally mentally sometimes physically depending on what you're doing too like you know so how do y'all really navigate like then like a lot of people are depending on me i get me to just work on or another, so on and so forth
1: so with me right now where i'm at um i i haven't felt any pressure since i, I honestly feel like i've been on vacation since i've been in los angeles like I didn't really feel pressure back in Michigan either though, because I think it was really aligned with my purpose and I feel like it was work I needed to do. So I didn't feel pressure. I felt healing um, in a lot of the work that I was doing, a lot of the stuff that mm. I was engaged in. I was like, yo, this is healing me. And I didn't expect it to. And I think in it, me leaning more into it, um, because I growing up in a white space, I had become comfortable being uncomfortable. I had become comfortable with people just staring at me all the time, like I was just like you know, just like an alien or something like, like I had to become comfortable with that. And I realized when I got to, you know, Michigan State, especially when I got around to black men and stuff, I didn't need to be, I didn't, I didn't have to accept that anymore. Um, and that was very healing for me um, because I was in this role of leadership, but I was also learning from so many other people. You know, my mentee is a mutual thing. It wasn't just like, oh, like you're learning from me. I'm telling you this and that, like we were learning from each other. And I think for me right now, I just learned from so many different types. I reached out to all types of people and just pick their minds and whatnot. And that really helps me when I might be in a situation, especially people in positions that I want to like strive to be in at some point because they give me feedback and they can read me like, yo, I remember when I was here and this is how I was feeling. I was like, dang, I can resonate with that. I might've been feeling the same way or a little bit different, but kind of like in the same area. And I think just being able to have like a Rolodex, a memory of like other people and their experiences. And I kind of think on that when I'm going through certain situations that really helps me along with my own experiences, because life is the best teacher. And I think about my own experiences and how I got here and some of the things I overcame. And that really helps me just on a day to day in terms of like what you said about even showing up and being present, like times where I don't want to show up and be present. I think about the times I did show up and was present when I didn't want to and how much I got out of it. And it's a reoccurring theme. So for me, I feel like I, those one of the habits that I built in terms of just being able to reflect back, being able to reflect on conversation I just had with people, um and just kind of you know applying that to my life, and I think that kind of takes off any potential pressure that might be. But yeah, I feel like I've been on vacation honestly for the last year.
3: Look, I think I think LA will do that to you. I've been feeling like say, I'm on vacation yeah, I, out there
0: too. I should have I <laughs> applied to LA too. Man.
3: <laughs> um, no, but I think I think Tim brings up some good points in terms of being able to align with your passion. I think for me, the pressure is less about things that I'm currently doing, but more about feeling like I'm not doing enough and always looking for that next thing to do. Right. And so I think it's pressure saying, hey, you know, the impact that I'm making isn't big enough, right? I, I should be doing something bigger. I should, you know, be able to, to multiply the work that I'm doing or, you know, how could I be more efficient to, to reach more people or whatever the case is? And I think, you know, we've talked about this before on the pod, uh, time management and being present in the moment and saying, hey, what I'm doing is enough, right? You know, this mentee that I have, it might just be one, but it's, a, it's enough, right? This is what you could fit in. This is enough. Um, and being able to really take value in the things that you do day to day. And I think a lot of times we're so focused on, you know, getting through that, getting through uh, what we're currently doing and focusing on what's next, that we miss out on the value that could be provided by being present, taking advantage of this organization, this conversation, this uh, conference, right? So I think that's where the pressure for me comes. And I think I'm constantly working on, being the most present, whether it's, you know, when I'm in a conversation, putting my phone down, right, because there's always going to be another email, there's always going to be, you know, something that's coming up next. But you know, how to how do I be present in that conversation? You know, when I go to a conference, trying to make sure that I attend all the sessions that I want. And you know, yes, I I can network and meet, uh, shake hands with the the next leader of this. But hey, what am I here for? I'm here to learn, you know, x, y, and z. And so trying to, to make sure that I'm staying focused in those moments is something that's super important to me something that i really struggle with um but i think uh somebody's mentioned it before being introspective taking time to reflect whether it be um writing whether it be you know talking to a mentor or something like that trying to to be present in those moments is something that helps me try to relieve relieve that pressure
2: yeah i don't know if necessarily i feel pressure i think i just recognize the gravity of the situation and the importance of what needs to be done and i think once I realized that I usually can go about things appropriately uh not perfect there's there's I think more so I make mistakes but not towards pressure more so just from a knowledge perspective but like I should have done more to understand the situation I should have read a little bit more I should have talked to this individual and got a little bit more perspective and those are the type of things that I think I run into not necessarily more of a pressure thing I feel like the pressure I haven't I mean, like you said, we're 25, 26, you know, I think we've all in some capacity been in leadership um, roles, we've been in situational individuals where we had to leave, but I don't think I've necessarily seen it to a point where there is an immense amount of pressure that, you know, I need to, like, handle per se. I think I'm still working towards, that's the goal, right? I want, I want all the responsibilities and all the pressures at some point, but I'm still working to get to that point. I'm just getting a little bit more each
0: time. Yeah, for sure. And those are great answers too. Um, I'll add briefly that uh, I think my spirituality has helped me a lot with pressures because uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself because I have um, overthinking and also uh, you call it uh, mental health afflictions too. That makes me overthink sometimes. And so I, when I, what was it? A few years ago, when I during my master's, when I was working as a GA. Uh, um, And I was in a leadership role for, you know, a large number of students, I would, I think that I used to put so much pressure on myself, like, day in, day out, that I did not make a mistake in front of my students. I was like, um, I had authority over because I didn't want to it's not that like I wanted to paint a picture of perfection but I don't, I don't think I wanted to fail them at all in any capacity um and so I didn't want to mess up our announcements I didn't want to mess up our assignments our reading times I mean, if they came to your questions like you know even though there was so much there was so much pressure from the pandemic there was so much pressure from academia at the time um and like from the master's program because um, master's programs are very rigorous if they're like two years um and so I just like I was losing myself a lot in the thought process of like, damn, like if, if I'm, I am am I even built for this? Like this seemed like just so much for me. Like I'm I, I felt like I didn't have a lot of control over like what was going on. Uh, it used to bother me a lot. But then I had like a uh, great partner at the time, our good man, a good friend Paul, like you know, great man. Um he really um he used to tell me all the time to or you not tell me all the time, he he's always remind me that it was like the focus, like you should if you feel stressed, the focus should be on the students. If you feel like you're not doing something wrong like what would this what do the students need and start from there type of thing and then since then like i've been reflecting on like what my calling is for like service and like you know putting my mindset and, like you know if my spirituality leads me to believe that you know i need to service all learners all students all adults and the ways that they can better themselves and ways that they can navigate this kind of world that we live in um and i think it helps me it helps me like clean my clean it helps me attach myself to a higher purpose and like be able to like drive that drive my mission from there and then I didn't feel like I didn't always need to feel like I was walking on eggshells in my own mind and like I don't know it really it it really freed me up from like thinking that I was in a cage of like you know you're always one small second from failure like you know and that was just like insane way that I was like going about my leadership uh, style and so and of course, you know, this is something I never projected to my students because, for one, it's inappropriate. <laughs> but two, but two, like you know, I wanted, I wanted to be someone for them, especially being a black man, and we went to a PWI, or predominantly white institution. For all the who doesn't know what that means, um, and like you know, I don't know, I just never, I never wanted to. I always felt like if I had the chance to be in leadership, I always wanted to be a leader that made an impact, made an effect on people, as someone that they could, like you know. Talk to and relate to, but also someone who can hold them accountable too. So that's where I like the pressures come from. I try to just focus on like um, leading those pressures through my like just spirituality and, and knowing that this is for me. Like you know, I'm, I was called to you know help people. I was called to service others, and you know, and bring and bring some um, enlightenment. Sounds crazy, but bring some bring something that's different in their lives and with the way they see themselves and also the way they see their futures too. Um, and so, going into my next question. I wanted to expand on our scale that we're talking about because the the previous questions are more individual. Um, I'm only going for like more labor market, larger industry questions. And so I read an article by the Society for Human Resource Management. It was written by Lisa Rabaska Rope. Um, And so I took a particular quote, statistic, um, yeah, statistic out of that. Uh, that article, and to start, quote: uh, Black individuals make up 13% of the U.S. population, but account for only 8% of employees and professional roles. Uh, black professionals hold only 3.2% of all executive or senior leadership roles, and less than 1% of all Fortune 500 CEO positions. Heavy, heavy uh, statistic. So, to start, my first question off of this quote is: You know, what barriers do you think aspiring black leaders face within your own industry? access to the knowledge needed to reach the C-suite
2: and so that's something the leadership program talks about is that there is a gap between uh leader black leaders especially in the like you know tier one or two below director higher managers like that reaching the upper echelon of CEO or CTO or CFO things of that nature um, because those connections require you to really expand your knowledge about the business and not be so narrow-minded so once you get hired there's less about specific details and more about strategic thinking it's more about three to four or five years planning making sure the company or the organization is in the right direction for the future and because you're at that high level you can't necessarily concern yourself with all the intricate details you have to trust the people below you to do that and from what I'm told or what I've read in um Different um, articles, again, Harvard Business, um, things of that nature, is that a lot of the time when people, especially Black women, in our case, Black males, are rising to reach the C suite, they haven't developed the ability to think strategically or to think long term or allow people who work beneath them to actually handle the responsibilities become sometimes micromanagers or they try to do their old job and their new job and they can't do both. And so not only do they not get to that position because they don't have sometimes the skills. They also don't do well because they're not really taught how to kind of like separate those type of things. Naturally, of course, you know, racial inequities did that they, they claim to role these statistics very obviously. Um, but some of the more business side of things get left behind. And it's kind of up to organizations, it's kind of up to, you know, you know, i would say, but like some of these white folks in these in areas to be willing to give those people the blueprint of how they do their role and that's not always people aren't always teaching you how to do your role because of the fear of replacement and things of that nature
3: yeah i think Stephen touched on some good points there i think i would add to that that mentorship right i think so we talked about the access i think you know that mentorship is important i think a lot of times we fail to realize how early on in folks careers that they're sort of tapped for leadership Right. I think it's it starts pretty early, right? People recognize potential and sort of take you under, under their wing and say, Hey, I'm gonna give you the blueprint. I'm like Stephen was just mentioned, I'm gonna give you the guy. I'm gonna bring you around so and so. We're gonna go to this retreat and this conference, and I'm gonna show you, show you the way to do that. That happens early on, right? And so it's it's um it's important to. To be able to be in those spaces, to be in those conversations where you could find somebody that's taking you under their wing that is currently a CTO or in line to be a CTO or CFO or CIO or something of of that magnitude and you can, and they can mentor you, Um, whether it be, you know, within your organization, whether it be in your industry, right, they can bring you under their wing and show you the steps because I think Stephen mentioned it again, there's so much that happens Away from your day-to-day task, right? If you're if you're getting bogged down in an Excel formula, you're not thinking the way a CTO or a CIO should think, right? If you're getting sort of bogged down in you know that one nitty-gritty like particular step, you're that's not how that's not how that thinking works. But I think a lot of times, you know, we're always taught to do the best at what you're currently doing, and I think it, sometimes it's hard to do that fully and still think about, you know, the future, think about five years, think about, you know, 10 years, 15 years, which a lot of our counterparts are able to think about for whatever reason, whether it be training, whether it be, you know, programs that they were in mentors that they've had, there's a different thought process that goes into that. Um, I think, you know, sometimes there's a longevity piece, right? I think, you know, it, it takes time to get there. And sometimes, you know, a lot of time. I think this might be less of a, uh, identity thing this might be um, in terms of like racial identity this might be more of a generational thing right but we think more you know it's supposed to be quick it's supposed to be five years why i'm not a boss yet you know uh three years why i'm not a boss yet and i think a lot of times you'll realize that hey these people that are in these suites yes sometimes there are outliers but typically they've been here for 25 20 25 years um, and so I think a lot of times we, we get impatient as well, but I think more of it goes back to Steven's point to access and, and to my point to, to that mentorship and, and that retention and those support mechanisms.
2: Uh, Entrepreneur Twitter will do that to you
1: sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think for me in the Academy, one of the things that I see as a barrier, um, to like that access to like executive positions and whatnot, is just like burnout, um and I know that's in every profession but like especially if you're in tenure track and let's just say you're um like you usually get evaluated under like your teaching your service and your research depending on what institution you're at and sometimes like when you're up for that process of evaluation for tenure track they don't take into account the the mentorship you might provide for like students like a whole plethora of students and let's just say like you're you're a black male and you're, you're trying to be a tenure track for faculty member at a historically white institution now, because that's what they're starting to call these institutions, and it's like, but I mentor, you know, x amount of students, but they're not taking that into account, it's like, all right, what's your research looking like, and then it's like, oh, you, you seem good, like, you should join this dissertation committee, because there might be some type of alignment, so, like, just pouring so much, because, Corey, kind of what you talked about, like, this idea of, like, you have potential, so it's like, oh, like, let's go ahead and tap you for everything, but there's also this sense of burnout, and I think also people in the academy see opportunity outside, Um, it's like, I'm not going to stay here if I'm going to be going through, because like, uh, I'm an academic Twitter, I had to, because of some like, blogs and stuff I put out, and like, a lot of times, it's like, really depressing, like, I'm a very happy and exciting person, so for me, I'm like, I need to get off of this, it doesn't bring my spirits down, but it's like, we're not having the same experience, you know what I mean, like, I can't relate to be honest, like, I know it's tough and whatnot, but like some of the stuff y'all going through, like, I'm not about to go through this. Like, I'm not about to put myself in that type of situation. So let me go ahead and do what I need to do so that I can have opportunities elsewhere. And I think people, especially people around my age and, you know, in these programs and stuff around our age, they're like, yo, like, let me look at other ways because you know, exposure is expansion. And we have access to social media, we have access to LinkedIn, we have access to all these other platforms where we can go and like network and engage with people who might be in different fields, but there might be some type of alignment. And you know, I can go and make more money in this position than staying here and doing tearing tracks. So I think there's this class between like traditional of like, oh, you need to like suffer and go through the work just like we did. And it's like, no, we don't have to do that anymore you know there's other ways that doesn't mean we don't have to put the time and energy and effort in but we don't have to go through the same thing so you kind of get this clash sometimes between more traditional thinking and more progressive I would say thinking of like you know we need to take this into account when we're doing our evaluations for um you know tenure and looking at your 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 cv your curriculum vitae and seeing what that says and whatnot so I think that's like one of the biggest things um but I also think that uh having that community and that mentorship is really helpful like for me i have a community mentorship my advisor is a black male who's doing like a lot of dope work right now and just being under his wing and other people like that has been really helpful in terms of showing me a path that's um uh different than what a lot of people are talking about in terms you know their own experience of how tough and whatnot it is so that's been helpful
0: yeah you're definitely speaking to the choir bro because i feel like Since I've been in my college, undergrad, masters, whichever, um, I've known quite a few uh, professors of color um, that that I've been mentored by or had good relations with, and not many of them were having good times, I can tell you that much, and like I forgot what the phrase was, I think it was called other mothering or something like that, but when you're like, especially you're like, I've seen this specifically with like black professors, like they feel like they have to mentor all the black students, or no, like do as much as they can for other black students, um, if, if, even, even if it's, um, excuse me, even if it's taking on a much larger mentoring role, or whether it's formal or informal, um, and then I've also heard that there, there are sometimes biases in how their students might rate them through their, the, um, you know, the end of semester surveys for their teaching and they get, they get, you know, they really get evaluated by that at the end of the year. And sometimes they feel like they get more harsher, more harsher reviews by students and sometimes more harsher interpretations by the, whichever administration, whoever uh, reviews that uh, type of stuff too. So man, man, it's, it's definitely something else. Um, but I had, I had a quick question. So do y'all believe that, y'all believe it's an, an innate responsibility for Black professionals to mentor up and coming Black um, employees? Or would, would you look at someone sideways if you, if you knew a Black professional who was doing well, but it was like, nah, I, I don't want to help you out because I don't think it's my job to do that?
2: Absolutely. I think we all have responsibilities as people. I think especially as Black individuals, as Black men, Black women or Black, again, Black individuals have a responsibility to teach, cultivate, and grow the next generation. And when you don't do that, those are where the gaps begin. Like there are things that are limiting, like you can hear You know, people have families, people have jobs, but it takes a group effort of those Black professionals to collectively grow to perform. Like we won't be, as it's like, we can't maximize our potential as individuals, as scholars, as business individuals, if we don't have the guidance for those individuals. Not to say we can't do it, but the ceilings we have reached are much higher when we have that type of knowledge or exposure. And, you know, Corey knows this, Mike knows this. I'm very big on that type of mentorship. Like, if I see somebody younger than me, uh, it doesn't matter if they're in college, it doesn't matter if they're in high school, it doesn't matter if they're in school. Like, I talk to them. I talk to them about what they want to do, what they're looking for. And if I know somebody, I know something they can do, I point them in the right direction. Or if they just need somebody to talk to, once a month and kind of iron things out. Like, I think we've all been in those positions where we've done that for individuals. I don't think that's necessarily hard, especially if, yeah, other people are helping out with those individuals as well and they have those lives. It can be hard, especially I think for uh, Black professors to have that responsibility where, you know, they're so good at mentorship, and they're so good with people that everybody comes to them because everybody knows they're going to become their best self once they get their help which is why we need more black professionals in those spaces, black, black professors and things of that nature. So I, I think, I think you, ha- you have to. I do, like to your last point, Mike, I think I do look at people sideways who don't do that because I think if you would want, I honestly, you would want that, and I say you can't do it yourself, but you would want that, you should want that to some degree for yourself. You should want somebody to seek you out and say that person has potential. Let me try to help them where I can. If you don't see that, Hey, maybe you're not community-based. I'm very family and community based. So maybe it's a personality thing, but you got to extend the head somewhere. That's how
3: communities are raised. Yeah, I mean, there's there's not much me for me to echo there. I think Steven mentioned most of it. I think the one thing that I would say is I think that mentorship, uh, again, people are gonna do what they want to do, right? But I think for me, I think that mentorship is especially important as it comes to Avoiding mistakes that were already made and providing tribal knowledge, right? I think there's, you know, yes, we could provide technical training, right? Stephen could go and provide, you know, computer science specific related support and all that type of stuff. But I think a lot of times what's more valuable from Steven is or just anybody in general is, hey, this is a mistake that I made along the way. This is how you can avoid it. Or, you know, this is something that would never be in a handbook or that you'll never learn from a conference. This is what I want to share with you. Right. I think that's where I think we as a community struggle a little bit in terms of. What's not being taught? What's not technical, right? We we could get the technical stuff. We could outperform because we've always been taught to be twice as good anyway. So when it comes to the technical, we're we're gonna we're gonna figure it out but it's that soft skills it's the stuff that happens you know on the golf courses that we're missing out on right those conversations the stuff that's happening you know that's been happening for generations at you know the retreats and the the boat houses and stuff like that that's the information that we're missing and that's i think where the mentorship comes because that that older lady or older man that's at the job that's the person that's seen, they've been through it. They've seen it. Whether, you know, they've been to every function or not, they've seen more than you have. And they can provide a lot of those gaps that, you know, a younger person like, oh, I don't need to know that. I know I know the book stuff. Nobody cares about the book stuff. It's only going to get you to to this ceiling. There's a ceiling with that. And I think that's the ceiling that we got to push through.
0: Did you go, Tim? My fault.
1: Oh, no, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, building off of that, I think um, what both of you all said, there's like this hidden curriculum or hidden knowledge that, Mm. uh, you know, isn't taught in the textbooks and whatnot. And is like discussed on like, you know, the like outside and like maybe cocktail hour and whatnot and like the golf course and what. And I think kind of, Stephen, you said in terms of like looking at somebody sideways, I would as well, just because I feel like it doesn't it doesn't hurt you to show another person love. I think that's also rooted in my faith of just wanting to like show, show love and treat people how I want to be treated. Just like on some like real, like human kindness, one-on-one type thing of like, yo, just treat other people how you want to be treated. And like, you know, the idea of karma, everything goes back around. So I feel like it doesn't hurt or it doesn't cost anybody to show people love and to help pull people on. Because if you do that, I, I, I look at like people who I consider leaders and, people who I consider like really like great men. Um, And even in terms of like LeBron, right? Like I think about like him and how he provides and like he gives, like he has like his camps and like he'll go to like, you know his children's game but like even while he's at the children's game he's still giving advice to other players and whatnot and you know checking in on them and you see a lot of players up and coming from last like decade plus they talk about how lebron has been there and showed up at at these games and you know gave them knowledge and whatnot and had them sign like clutch management and stuff with rich paul and all these other things so like you have it where people are really like him as an individual is really pouring into like younger generation because they become the next generation. And the thing is, if you want to build healthy habits, it's like pour into those people and they'll pour into the next people because they're like, dang, somebody did it for me. I got to do it for the next person. And I think it just creates this cycle of of love and genuineness that you know um it is necessary and needed in order for people to really, you know, level up in that way. Like it's it, it feels good, but it also it is it, it's it's needed, it's essential. So I think just that that pouring into other people. Um, and that mentorship and just being able to pay that that knowledge for it is it's, it's something that's essential um, along with feeling good, so.
0: Yeah, thank you all for your answers. Um, I just fully agree. I don't have much of either. either. Um, I just feel like, you know, as a, you know, I'm in, in an industry where not too many um, Black people in general, um, especially what I do as far as like my um, data, education data research. Um, you know, there's definitely not a lot of Black quantitative scholars in, in, that I've met so far on my journey, but I feel like, you know, I worked so hard to get here. And if I saw another, you know, black student or whomever, and they like, I need guidance, I need help. And I just have questions. Like, you know, why would I turn it away? I just feel like, you know, it would be very cool hearted. I, mean, I just can't, I can't rationalize the perspective where I'm like, nah, I'm too busy. I'm too like, you know, self-centered or whatever to, to not do that. And, you know, just why, why not give back? It seems illogical, but I can't think in a, a cold-hearted way to me. But thank you all for the wonderful, wonderful talk. I hope the audience hope got picked up on some great gems today. Um, A lot of a lot of wise words were shared around. Now, we did not come to a conclusion on this tabletop question.
2: I don't, I, if, I don't know if
0: we... Are you... Yeah, I got you. Uh,
2: the question is, pick one individual, and they said unconventional, that you kind of recognize as a person that you're proud of or you're inspired by. So I guess unconventional means the 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 MLKs and the Malcolm X are off the window.
1: Somebody you're you're proud of, right? Or inspired by? Yep.
2: Yeah. Like some somebody like gives you that type of inspiration.
1: Yeah. I think for me, my ultimate source of inspiration will never change. It'll always be my father. Mm-hmm. Um because like he's he made me the man that I am today. Um so just just seeing his day-to-day actions, especially as I'm, like, you know, getting older, and I just think about, like, dang, why did him or my mother do certain things when I was a kid? I'm like, oh, I understand, or now I'm like, nah, I don't understand. I was actually kind of wild, and it's still wild right now, but I think for me, just being able to have my father there, you know, throughout my entire life, always showing up to events, and just being supportive and whatnot, and just being there, you know, um, really means a lot to me, and um, I, like, yeah, he's just, he's always inspired me. Um, I've always wanted to be like my father. Um, and, and, you know, I've tried to pattern my life in some ways after him. Now I'm like in a place where I'm like, oh, my, I'm my own man. You know, I can do my own thing and whatnot, but still there's a lot that my father like embedded in me at an early stage that I still have. And I'm still rocking with, along with my mother. Um, but I would say, yeah, my, my father's my biggest source of inspiration. I don't ever have to look far. I can just look you know what I'm saying, within my immediate family. So I, I definitely get the biggest inspiration from my father. And I always will, regardless of who I meet. Um, And I feel like I've met some
2: incredible people. Um, but, yeah, my father for me. Tough question, right?
0: <laughs> Mike's deep in thought. Oh, yeah, no, I have a person. Um, I was just thinking, like, you know, can I just think of someone who's, like, what, unconventional? Um, like, something like, you know, far out. Like, I was like, damn, like, since I've left high school, like, who has been... Okay, I was trying to think outside of my family. I was like, who has been, like, a person or, like, something that's really impacted me or influenced me? Um, I had to dig through the memories. but I, I think I would say is Bell Hooks. And I would say Bell Hooks because I, front to back, read um, a book, her book on uh, The Will to Change, same book I recommend you to Tim. Um, uh, the Will to Change is about men, masculinity, and love. And... I read that that was like the summer before I started my master's master's program. And I don't think I've ever read an author who, even though the the, the writing content was so sensitive, it so it was very touchy, um that wrote with such grace and empathy, um uh, that wrote with so much teaching like purpose in it in it, and like, it was really inspiring to me because it, she would she broke down in like through like twelve to thirteen chapters, just different ways that society has like influenced and shaped men to believe a certain idea about themselves, um, and how that can how that can be unworked. And she also it was just so vulnerable throughout it all because she spoke through her own relationships with, with different men in her own life, um, how that's impacted her and what she learned about herself by interacting with them and vice versa. It was just so complex and it was so deep. Um, and I don't think, I, I literally have not been the same person since I read that book, for sure. Um, and it definitely inspired me because, you know, I've, I've read other of her works too as well, but I have my bachelor's in English too, but I've always wanted to aspire to be a writer that can really go beyond just, you know, just the writing techniques, deploys and stuff like that too, but into somewhere where like you can bring real emotion, you can bring real humanity into your work, and but but something that's, that can be caring even if it's like a topic less about like masculinity and like because we know how masculinity can be very uh well i I wouldn't wouldn't say kind of can be very violent towards women in this world and so like you know i I don't i don't think there's any other person that can really that really stands out in my past like four or five years as like a a particular inspiration that's like way beyond like the the social networks that i um, interact with yeah i
3: think uh trying to think outside of of the typical right the the family the you know dr king the malcolm x i think for me related to i guess dr king and malcolm x i think for me similar to mike would be uh james baldwin i think so looking at an author so i'm about halfway through his uh literary collection i think i've probably listened to you know almost every speech um but i think for me his ability to provide social commentary in such a profound and um I don't know. I think for lack of a better term, beautiful way. Right. So I think if you if you if you read what he has to say, it's almost everything is almost prose. Right. So like free form poetry and and for lack of a better term. So the books are you know telling a story of a time that for most people, you know, would would be painful to think about. And you're there almost sort of. Um, and for folks that know me, know that I'm super interested in history, right? And I think you know that history is very cyclical, and it provides so much guidance for what we do day to day. But you know, being able to to read his words, hear his speeches, you're you're present in his moment. You understand what's happening, what's taking place, and I think it, it's so inspirational to see that you could be present and you could sort of be so introspective at the same time. And so I think going back to what I mentioned earlier in the pod being able to be present, right? I think his writing sort of helped me realize the importance of recognizing your surroundings. You can be a leader and make an impact the, the way that I'm reading his books years after his passing and, you know, not be the main person, right? You know, he was there with Dr. King and he was there with, with Malcolm and he talks about it in his writings, but he's not the face, but he was still still able to lead in in some way, shape or form. So being able to do that and also, you know, as an orator be inspired by, you know, his speeches, I think, they're powerful without being you know there he's not overly loud right he's 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 there and you and you listen and and you have reason to listen so i think you know he's truly made an impact um you know without ever having met him and i think that's probably one of the more powerful impacts you could have having not met a person but still feel like they've had an impact on, on your journey in some way so
0: Bro, I didn't know you was doing that. <laughs> I love James Baldwin, bro. What the heck? We I've not talked about this before. Now I'm tight. What the? the power of being the witness, man. I read, right. I read him. I, he was my favorite when I was like doing my Mr. degree. I was like, man, what a. He's like, just, he's like, you know, I'm not. Um, i like you said. He's not the face. He's not the action. The person. He's not gonna give the speeches. But there's a lot of power in being able to observe and write down what reality is in nature and what what's right, or wrong. And that's a great example, bro. We we gonna talk more. about it. That be Tight. <laughs>
2: I'm screaming. Um, so I yeah, we have we all have inspirations going across different people. I I'm going with a trifecta because I can't choose one of them because they all kind of have like an equal, I guess, influence in the way I see myself. So I'm I'm very success driven. And um and so one of the books I read, the first book I think I read I actually enjoyed in high school freshman year was The Pack. So Samson Davis, George Jenkins, and Rami Hunt, um three men from New Jersey who grew up in the hood and, and later became doctors. Uh, I think I just look at that for inspiration. Not necessarily, not necessarily because it's like a rags or riches story, but I think there's a level of willpower that they have and the willingness to kind of beat the odds, beat the racial off, beat the socioeconomic odds, beat the odds just of people saying they couldn't do what they were able to do. And I think I'm inspired by that because it kind of reminds me that I need to push myself to be the best I can be. And I shouldn't let anything stop me um so the three d's you already know this one dedication determination that's like that's been my driving force since i think the last decade now because i read that book in late 2011 early 2012 so i think you know that always serves as an inspiration to me i've watched some of their they're also you know motivational speakers i've seen some of their youtube clips and things of that nature so i mean i, I think you know going non-conventional per se like you wouldn't just know this person walking on the street or whatever but I, I think they're really cool and i, I like them
0: Great, that was a great table talk, man. Thank you for the last minute question. Um shout out to the um uh, individuals who submitted that question too as well. Um uh, so now we're gonna go into our plug, a plug. And this week we got a plug saying right here in front of us, Tim Her, brother. I know you got a lot of uh you know a lot of different works in consulting and other um organizations. I want to give you the space to promote yourself, and will give you the platform to talk about all the good things you're a part of and things that people can potentially join you in.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate that. Um so trying to think yeah uh right now I'm getting more into consulting building that out I'm like being in LA like a creative consultant so um basically what that looks like is I mean it's different capacities so like program evaluation like program development a lot of that work um I was working with well I'm still working like North Carolina State around e-mentorship I started that in 2019 um and it just continued to renew my contract basically a pipeline of support from um, North Carolina State to the Greater Raleigh uh, community um, and recruit students to get an e-mentoring. So program development or evaluation program development. Um, I was working with Selena Gomez here um, at a new company, Wondermind, and it was focused on destigmatizing mental health. So I did that for a few months, and it was just an opportunity to kind of uh, blog a little bit, journal, offer advice, write reports and whatnot. So getting more involved in consulting. Um, I have a website uh, where I do blog I would love feedback um, and I guess that's a way to continue to engage with people is timjherd.com so t-i-m-j-h-e-r-d.com and I have some of my blog um, some of my writings up there that I've done thus far i always open to feedback and um, yeah I, I guess that would be the biggest thing in terms of just like engagement audience engagement with people here um interested for interested in terms of like consultant opportunities stuff for sure hit me up um around program evaluation program management and development um and then I also like help facilitate workshops around like DEI type stuff so I've uh, been doing that a little bit um campus climate survey so I would say that's kind of the area and I have a couple other projects that I'm working on here and there but um all that stuff yeah is just on my website so if people are interested and want to check it out Feel free to hit hit it up. Um, give me some feedback about the outline, the layout, and whatnot. And you know, I'm always here just for conversation. So say so that'd be the biggest thing. Sure.
3: Thank
0: dope. you, bro. That's dope. Yep. Okay. Thank like you. That. Thank you. All right, Steven, take us away, man. This is your segment. <laughs> That's all
2: Pass it off. So you already know the vibes. Who is leading us this week? That's a trick question. It's Tim. Our guest always goes first. So, Tim, what you playing for us?
1: Um, yeah. So I have uh, actually my cousin. Like, this is a little different than um, anything I've heard before, but like I dig it because it's my cousin, and it's pretty groovy. Um, he does a lot of yoga. He has his album. I think it's called Clearing Here. It's like under hip hop rap, but it's like breathing meditation. So um I uh share with Mike one of the the breathing meditations. It's like uh maybe like three minutes or something like that. And it just talks about like focusing on your breaths, uh being mindful of where you're at, embracing where you're at, um, and just opportunities to really uh ground yourself and be present uh with like a cool little hip hop beat in the background. So um yeah, that's that's what I got for y'all. Let me see.
4: What's going on, everybody? Today we're gonna get into our toolbox. So
5: pleased to be able to welcome
4: and try on a few different types of breath. First breath. Let's start by exhaling the breath out with a push. It almost sounds like the air is being deflated from a tire s-h sound Mm -hmm. yeah use this breath to just rid yourself of any old stale air yeah yeah that feels better the next breath is in through the nose and out through the nose jai breath sounds like a snore sounds like an ocean sound in and out just let it be silly, flutter out your lips. Use this breath to relax the jaw. In your wheelhouse, you have many different breaths, many different styles to tap into. Have a happy journey. <laughs>
6: you all are acting like the sun is shining on the outside, but it's also shining on the
4: inside in each and every one of us. That
2: was nice. I can see I see what you're talking about. Not necessarily hip-hop, but more
0: yeah. uh, inspirational for Yeah, that's dope. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great fusion. I like like that
2: a lot too. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, who's leading up? Who's leading up? Um, I I could go next. Oh, you got it.
3: Oh, yeah, I'll go next. Um, so my song is Uh, The Highs and the Lows by Chance the Rapper featuring Joey Badass.
6: I'm an emotional rollercoaster, where high so high I could put ball on a poster, but when the bread get low, like four loaves and a toaster, oh, the shoulders can't get cold as ten toes in Nova Scotia. Some days I hold a grudge, some days I hold a ghost some days I just ghost some days I'm supposed to. The crib feel like a gunfight, but them strollers, that's the holster. We can make amends over old memes and mimosas. My mama know I ain't make my bed, but I'ma lay in it. Whether it's sandpaper, suede, linen, whether I'm alone, a Creole lady mama laid in it, the same pajamas I was afraid in, I boogie man slave my blankets conceal my blade in it, emotional seesaw, with two fat motherfuckers with strong knees and free fall, it's cloudy with a chance of meatballs, I checked the weather, I gave all my vices a call, let's get together to talk about the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the friends that I had to hide to come around, they told me that I knew. Y'all always come around, come around, come around, come around, come around, come around. Yeah. To work out the highs and lows, the ups and downs No need to hide, the skies is coming down Go and get high, I promise you're coming down Coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming down, coming yeah. down. You got to your eyes on the road eyes on the And road. you feel your backs on the road with your back, You gotta take the highs with the lows Gotta take the highs with yeah, the lows You're lost and yeah. you're running out of hope Looking for the best way to go. Cause know we all been there before. We all been there. Gotta take the highs with the lows. I was feeling lifeless, I had to cut my vices. Now the feeling that I feel is priceless. And the spirit want me to be righteous, but I know I might just we relapse sucked in these devices. Got so used to feedback, I couldn't tell what my is. Sometimes all the outside noise just really blinds us. Beware, believe none of what you see and half of what you hear. The best things in life on the opposite side of fear. I swear, I see it clear, like after the storm still. You can't stop the rain like the loose end song. My world is born like James. I couldn't complain cause even when I did niggas really couldn't feel my pain That's the type of shit to drive a nigga insane. wanna be numb like your thumb back flicking the flame back to square one Trying to overcome what you became like they was right. I guess you're never gonna change So
3: that was chance the rapper Featuring, featuring Joey, Badass, uh, The Highs and the Lows. Um, I got to get back in my music bag. I, mean, I feel like for the last couple episodes, I've been scrambling when it come to, uh, to Pass the Ogg. So I got to get back here. At, at least keep track of what I listen to during the
2: week. I've been slacking. Interesting. And Mike, this is the person that said they would be winning. Crazy.
3: Well, first of all, I still I still be winning on the scramble, which which says even more about what y'all uh, be doing.
2: <laughs> now,
3: but oh, hold on. While we in music, I do got to give a huge shout out um to my guy Blast. Y'all yeah, know I rock with Blast Heavy. Um, I was able yeah. to go to the to the Before You Go tour last night. So, a huge shout out to Blast and to Buddy, which is crazy because he wasn't on the first leg of the tour, and I wasn't expecting him. And y'all know I really rock with Super Ghetto. So, uh, shout out to those dudes. Hopefully, um, a uh, successful and and uh. Good rest of you tour
2: that shout out to them that's dope i gotta get i gotta listen to more bites i like that i went back and listened to i wanted talk about a couple weeks ago yeah he has a couple of joints on there that I like all right i will go next um my song is so i came across this song on twitter uh, one of my friends tweeted about it shout out to them and I added a song to my library. It says R&B slash soul, but there's a lot, a uh, well, a lot. There's a considerable amount of jazz influence inside. Um, so if you get a chance, to check it out. The album's called Tunnel Vision. It's by Ruben, J- Ruben James. And my song is called Closer.
6: I believe that you know there were stars in your eyes that I couldn't help but notice. I want to take this time to approach, but you took me by surprise and you already know this. So won't you throw me up a sign? My heart is on the line. I need you to be mine. And I just want you here with me. So baby, if you
4: please. You want to come closer, closer to me.
6: Cause I got everything you want, I got everything you need, oh. I need to be the one to tell you, baby, the only one to save me. I've been thinking lately, but I've been waiting here for the take. It's a boy make me. I just want to taste it. You got me down on my knees. I travel overseas to give you what you need. And I just want you here with me. So, baby, if you please,
4: won't you come closer? closer to me. Cause I got everything you want, I got everything you need. Yeah. yeah. I
6: know we can make it out alive. We took a turn and ain't no rush, no fightin' fast I'm from the city where they bust The better rallies, they don't trust. Look at me and you don't judge told me peace, you my release. We talkin' love, my mother and my father son They told me, well, don't kiss and tell My baby, girl, let's travel Well, maybe ain't no rush and you know we can take it slowly Patience is a passion, I know that you really know me
2: gentlemen, again, that is Closer, featuring Sophie Faith, Jay Prince, and the and Cartoons. That's two R's for Cartoons. Check out the project, it's called Tunnel Vision. I really wish to play some of y'all the more jazzy type of songs, but I kept it a little bit more r and today. But check out that project, came out last year, really good project. Yes, sir. I'm
0: going to finish it off with another uh, slower song, too. Um, One of these songs popped up on my recommendations. You know, thank God for Apple Music. They kind of carrying me in this (laughs) competition that we got going on. Um, But, you know, they they recommend some great stuff for me. So the song is titled I Choose You and it's by Toby Mm Weaver.
5: biggest problem is I don't believe the concept of in love In college I was with Whitney, when she kissed me I felt in the Heavens had descended upon me, so strongly I was wrong B She came from the big apple, wrong tree I kinda sometimes feel like that was God perfecting me I got with fat and low key she changed the trajectory of my vision Supernatural circumcision from selfish ways, I'm on a mission But to be alive, I said I never felt this way, I have before but this love thing just ain't no grab and go, you have the bow Everything inside our prayer don't hit the flow, simple as that This just ain't rap, this ain't fictional They may doubt it medicinal and may love seem conditional But it ain't though, hell really, it's perfection Even if it's like Anthony Hamilton's bidding come through in sections The lesson, but yet the blessing is the fact that it's the choice perception In the wrong direction has the power to destroy your essence Check your reflection, make sure that it's cool For your protection, learn yourself before you learn in school That you inadequate, truthfully I'm an advocate For these savages chasing these objects that be inanimate I wish that I could give them something way more tangible it's hard to get your gift from God when both your hands is full. With all your pettiness, acting ed, ed, and eddies. Lack of umbrellas always make rain y'all fall down the heaviest look. Stand under something, and hopefully it'll help you understand. That everybody black on the inside like just cans. Keep your composure, be careful how you approach a man. Pigs can't smell the odor Us slap to know they grosser than most people. But ain't no one picture
0: perfect on Again, that Again, though, I choose you by Toby. We get and yeah, that's Pastor. the once again, thank my good brother Tim Her for joining the podcast today. It was more than a pleasure to have you. We had good times. Having me, I appreciate y'all.
1: Yeah,
0: for sure, man. For sure, man. Let us know if you ever want to come back, man. You're always welcome. No uh, doubt, yeah.
1: And y'all said you're on y'all your 90th something podcast, man. That's dope. Shouts out to y'all for 95. 95. Man, 95. Shouts shout out to y'all for doing thank this you you, know? Thank like, you. This is, this is incredible. I love. You know, seeing black men come together and, you know, engage in dialogue and just be open and, you know, be vulnerable, but also be fly. You know what I'm saying? Just show the whole essence of, you know, being black and, you know, being dope. And, you know, this is really dope. So I hope
0: that this continues to go for a long time.
3: We appreciate that. Definitely. Appreciate that for sure.
0: Audience, you know, you know, the deal. Please engage with us, like, comment, subscribe. So as you like us, so you hate us, give your opinions. You know, we want to see it at all. Uh make sure you keep up with us at A D Connivos on IG. Right now is at E D Carnivals um on Instagram. And y'all stay safe. Talking
6: about a bad vision, be on a mission, spread the word of our people, see us sequels, and time to step aside. Be on a sequel, you can catch us at five PM. Every Sunday, telling stories about the culture. Do art on sculpture, recording every Friday. So here it always no need to catch a away Stay tuned for us, take. We're on it after then
2: the conversations we want on it after dinner the conversations